On this week's TribCast, my last ever, we'll talk about George P. Bush's transparency problems, the latest state leader to tweet, get a rope, and what Beto O'Rourke will really be doing in 2020. But before we do, I want to thank today's TribCast sponsors. Raise Your Hand Texas, which is strengthening public education for the future because the future of Texas is in our public schools. More at raiseyourhandtexas.org. And Humana, as part of the company's efforts to improve the health and well-being of the communities it serves, Humana has announced that Atlanta, Charlotte, and Houston are now bold goal communities, bringing its total to 14 communities. For more information about Humana's bold goal, visit humana.com slash population health. Hello, this is Emily Ramshaw here on Wednesday, December 17th with the Texas Tribune Tribcast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined uh, this final week of 2019 by CEO Evan Smith. I'm going to be grumpy about your leaving. I'm just letting you know right now. I mean, you're always grumpy about something, so but this I'm is as but, good but as anything. this is specifically what I'm going to be grumpy <laughs> All right. I'm just so, telling you. All right. I'm ready for it. Reporter Jay Root. Hola. Hola. And never re- grumpy about anything. <laughs> never, never grumpy. <laughs> and reporter and soon-to-be Tribcast host, Alexa Ura. Hello. Hello. Get used to hearing her voice. Uh, as always, we'll take questions from our listeners in real time on Twitter and Facebook. You can do that using the hashtag Tribcast. Okay, uh, so I would like to start with the email that I got, uh, I think, late in the evening last night from Evan, uh, revealing to us that uh, the Texas Monthly's bum steer this year was shared by Dennis Bonin and Beto O'Rourke. And Evan, I would love, as a former editor of Texas Monthly... Evan Smith, a Texas Monthly editor. Yeah, right. If you you look at Twitter, there's a lot of people who think that because I tweeted that cover that somehow I was responsible for the cover, which is, of course, (laughs) not the case. Right. Tweets don't equal endorsements. Welcome. Welcome to Twitter. Welcome to Twitter. Uh, So what was your thinking on that rationale? Well, you know, I would never speak ill of my former compatriots at Texas Monthly. Wait for it. Period. New paragraph. (laughs) Um, I don't see how Beto and and Dennis Bonin are equivalent in bumpsteer worthiness. Dennis Bonin clearly had a bumpsteer worthy year. It was a Garrett Cole worthy, bumpsteer worthy year. Aren't you going to be happy when you go over to your new thing that there in, there's no one just doing random sports references over there? Oh, or is that some That's like assumption that yeah. just because it's a women-led organization no. that we're not going to be making ouch. sports no. references? You don't give a, you don't give a damn about baseball. You give me a hard time all the time about sports references. Well, hang on. Women's national team. Just, oh, you know. okay. Uh-oh. Meg, what's the woman's name? We just was Uh-oh. a sports woman here. No, you just you always give me a hard time about this. All right, continue. Seriously. <laughs> you do whatever you want. Stop your digging. <laughs> Stop digging. Host your own damn podcast. That's fine. Um, so uh, bump steers. So bump steers. But the Beto, what did Beto do? He ran for president. Right. I mean, then so did Joaquin, or so did, not Joaquin, ha, very funny joke. So did Julian Castro. So, like, why does Beto get the bumps here and not Julian Castro? Presumably, because Beto's out? Presumably it's because he ran, and I mean, I thought Matthew, decided not I, to I run? actually thought that the best argument for the decision was actually made by our colleague Matthew Watkins, that he started the year on the cover of Vanity Fair, shot by Andy Leibovitz. Um, you know, I'm in this because I was born to be in it and all that kind of stuff, and he ends the year... A caricature on the cover of Texas Monthly. Right. Yeah. But he, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a bit of a stretch. It's not like he himself made him made himself that caricature. Right. That's like an imposed one. At this point, he's like out in Houston block walking. And 
I just at the level of comparison to Dennis Bonin, I think it's not. It was not a self-own in the way that Dennis Bonin was. Well, what did it say? I didn't even read it. What did it say that why is he a bum steer? All I got was the co- I have not seen leave. the okay. copy. I just got okay. I just saw an image of the cover on their website. Like the rest of the country's readers, we just looked at the headline. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was just sharing the cover because it was news. You know what? Texas Monthly as an institution is in Texas important. And who the bump steer of the year is, just like who's on the best and worst list, is by definition worthy as news. So I shared the cover. And, of course, what I got was... A bunch of snark. Hashtag Beto Twitter was all over me. <laughs> Crawling all over me. Yeah. But, you know, I do think that it's interesting. Matthew, again, back to Matthew's kind of the arc of the Beto over the course of the year. He came out of the 2018 campaign riding extremely high, having accomplished something that not since 1978 when John Hill was elected to the Senate, a Senate rate that close. I mean, really, it was an amazing kind of trajectory out of 2018, and he ends the year block walking Wait, John with John Hill Liz. was the gubernatorial nominee in 1978. Thank right. you for the history lesson. Bill Loran against Bill Clement. It was the year that was the year. And of they the were clo- calling him right. Governor Hill right. because he was the Democratic nominee. And the year of the closest Senate race. It's, for, it's 40 years since it was a Senate race as mm-hmm. close as my point. Okay. And he comes out of it, he comes out of the year, goes into 2019 on that trajectory, comes out of 2019 um, uh, block walking with a Liz Markowitz in a special election uh, uh, or in a, you know, this uh, runoff mm-hmm. um, uh, for a vacant house seat in a, you know, notable that he's now grown a beard. He's grown his I'm now chilling beard. I mean, it's just... It, that's, it, what so it, that's the official name Matt, for it. Matthew, I'm going to tell my husband. to the men in this office. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't care about his beard. <laughs> well, I couldn't grow a beard. Ma- Matthew's point was just the arc. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, that mm. makes a lot of sense. But, you know, people are going to think what they think. I mean, I don't know. Is in some ways the block walking he's doing now not what people wanted him to do instead of running for president? Like, people wanted him to stay in Texas and work on organizing here to get it to where he... You know, get it across the finish line and whatever, how many points he needed to do. I don't know. I don't. I just don't see that as like a downward part of the arc there. If in reality, that's what a lot of people on his side of the aisle want him to do anyway. Asked right, and so and Evan, tell us a little bit. So Beto also um, was more clear this week about sort of what his 2020 plans are. Talk a little bit about that. He's looking to flip the house. He right. sees the state the, house. He, yeah. his, his priority is to contribute to efforts being made by Democrats to take back control of the Texas House, mm-hmm. heading into a decennial redistricting cycle. The eyes of Democrats are on that particular prize. It's a good prize to, to have your eyes on. It's not a, a certainty that it can happen. It's just not a 0% chance, as some have said, but it's a, it's a long shot, but it's still a shot. And he believes that by harnessing his base of support and his star approach power. to star power and his approach to let's go everywhere, let's never be outworked, all that kind of stuff, that he can help turn, you know, they need a net nine, uh, net, net, net nine uh, pickups. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's going to require a lot. And, you know, the Zerwa seat, which is where Liz Markowitz is a competitor in the special election, is one of those on the outer edge of the outer edge of possible. But it's one where if you picked it up, it makes the math easier. Right. right? I mean, I think, you know, Alexa is is right on this, that there was the sort of big rap on Beto O'Rourke was that, you know, running for president, like, why don't you put those efforts to work in Texas? And now he really is at, like, you know, beyond city councils, like the most fundamental, the lowest um, common denominator. And I think the, you know, quote from him was something along the lines of like, you know, it starts here and goes up, you know. So I do think that's interesting. And and remember that one of the things that happened at the tail end of the filing period before the filing period actually closed was that supporters of Congressman O'Rourke's did a poll, commissioned a poll, that showed that he would have the closest margin to Senator Cornyn. The theory there was 
that he would be the Democrat who in a Senate race, who has the potential to catalyze Democratic turnout, create this moment again, as was the case in 2018. And by doing so, the rising tide lifts all boats, that the House races would become easier to win if there was this massive turnout. The theory was that his participation at some level would cause that turnout to happen and there would be a, a, a corresponding effect on everything else. Whether he can make that happen from the outside of the election process as opposed to the inside is something that we just don't know. Yep. Won't know. Uh, all right, well, Jay, uh, pivoting to you, you had a big story this week on Texas Land Commissioner George P. Bush failing to disclose, as required, uh, ties to at least 11 different companies, including a Cayman Islands-based oil and gas firm that did business with a state fund he helps oversee. Uh, tell us more about what you learned and how you learned it. This is sort of another chapter in the uh, annals of lax ethics oversight in Texas and in transparency. I actually looked this up. It's not untransparency. It's in transparency. Huh. We have a real transparency issue in Texas. This is the latest chapter just with George P. Bush um, in 2018. Um, and just think about this for a second. He did not, over the time that he's been in office, he was able to, using a loophole, not disclose the house he lives in, the mortgage he got from a donor, a big donor, the, the job that the donor gave, or basically the, the, his wife, Amanda Bush, worked for this donor. None of that was disclosed. So fast forward to this week, and we reported that uh, 11 companies were not uh, disclosed. 10 of them were all related to a company called St. Augustine Partners. You can get more, basically his company that owned other companies, right? And one of them was called St. Augustine Capital Partners. And you literally can get more information on LinkedIn about this company and tie it to the Bushes than you can on his personal financial statement. Um, look, it's kind of a joke now. Really? I mean, Royce West, this is not, this is a bipartisan affliction. Recently, I reported about Royce West, who, as it turns out, is in business with mega Republican donor Brent Ryan. And if you were looking at his personal financial statement filed with the state of Texas, you'd never find that. Luckily, he ran for, he is running for federal mm -hmm. office. And so because of that, we were able to go, oh, Wait, you're in business with Brent Ryan? How did this happen? So he had to disclose it so to he, run for federal office. So he did, and, and the, the regulations are much tighter. They require it's very it's 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 you know, it requires far more disclosure. And after uh, he did that, um, and after we reported that he had this on his federal form, but not on his state form, he went I actually never went back and wrote about this, but he went back and amended his personal financial statement. And there's sort of a get out of jail free card. I mean, there, there really is. It, it, basically the law says it's considered to be timely filed. If within 14 days of your learning about some omission, you go in and correct it. So why would anybody ever really disclose anything controversial? Just don't disclose it. And then, and then if you get someone busted, finds out. if someone finds out, you go, oh my, thank you. I mean, I've had people tell me, thank, thank mm -hmm. you for letting me know this. And then they go in. I, the same thing, uh, Ken Paxton years ago, uh, failed to disclose his ties to a company that did business with the state. So, and a lot of times that you do find these connections where, oh, well, there's, there's actually a tie to state business. And again, it's not a, a partisan thing. I mean, we found it on Republicans and Democrats alike. All right. So like, let's say we were giving all these folks the total benefit of the doubt. It, how complicated is the law? I mean, is it possible that reasonable people would very easily screw this up? Well, look, 
the the ethics law is, is it can be sort of complicated, but but let me just take this one example of board service is a bright. I mean, it, it's very clear. If you were on a corporate board, it says you have to disclose it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he didn't disclose it. And it turns out that this company actually had a relationship with the state of Texas. And on top of that, he actually recused himself from the vote without ever mentioning the name of the company. Mm -hmm. So, and, and on top of that, so you know, he knew it, enough to know he, know he had SEC to recuse records. himself. It's, yeah. in, it's, in, it's in Securities and Exchange Commission <laughs> records and filings, the 10K, which is your annual report. It's super, I mean, these, these things seem complicated. You know, it's really not complicated at all. It says George P. Bush was on the board, got paid $43,000 for his board service, and got over $100,000 in stock options that turned out to be worthless because this company went bankrupt. And in fact, one of the entities that the state did business with, the operator of the wells, was bankrupt at the time that it got the lease from, that the, that the lease was between the, the land state. office and mm -hmm. the state and this company was uh, enacted. Mm -hmm. uh, so how did Bush respond to you discovering this and did he rectify it within the, the required 14 days yeah, yeah, since he the did. story just There ran? was a sworn complaint, so there's, there's a possibility that he could be fined for it. Um, uh, but much better than the first time around. The first time around, um, I was accused of peddling, quote, more fake news from the, literal, uh, from the liberal news media. But also in that same That's story, in, in, in the same story, <laughs> though, they actually had to, they did, they did do the correction, right? But look, they copped to the whole thing. They fixed everything and said it was unintentional. And, you know, it was, it was much more, um, it, there, there, it, it wasn't as in, intense in terms of, you know, criticizing me or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't take this personally. I mean, I've, I've been doing this too long to take it personally. What kind of fine is there? And is it paid out of their campaign accounts or their personal funds? It can be, yeah. Um, and out of the campaign is my understanding. But yeah. after the 14 days, right? Well, so the sworn complaints uh, go on forever, though. You know, they really do. They go on forever. They, um, I mean, it, it could be a year or more, you know, and... and like we did one on Bob Hall, and I, I, I actually I had totally forgotten that I had reported that story, and I saw oh, he had been fined, and it was based on this story that we had done, you know, in a sworn complaint. But the, the I, I really think that the main thing to to take away from this is that um, both sides do it, and it's broken. Our ethics system is really broken because you can people just there's so much that they don't disclose and that they don't have to disclose. Um, I mean, for example, when Rick Perry ran for president, we discovered that he was double dipping a salary and a pension. We didn't know that off his state form. Because at the federal level, you have to disclose things different than if you're at for the federal, federal rate, level, federal you, have rates, to, you have to disclose different You have right. to disclose pensions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, all right, well, we are going to uh, pivot here, but before we do, I want to thank two more TribCast sponsors, the Texas Association of Counties. Local government is great, not because it's government, because it's local and connected to the people. Learn more at texascountiesdeliver.org. And the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute's vision is for Texas to be the national leader in treating people with mental health needs. More at texasstateofmind.org. Uh, Alexa, please help me understand why statewide elected officials keep uh, saying, quote, get a rope on social media. 
I've been told it's a salsa commercial. Um, so over the weekend, uh, Greg Abbott joined the list of Texas electeds who have used this get a rope line. I'm going to read the quote, the tweet he was responding to because God forbid I mess up a Whataburger quote. It was Josh Woosley tweeted, Whataburger was out of Dr. Pepper this morning, Greg Abbott. What are you going to do about this? And Greg Abbott quote tweeted it with, get a rope, and then in response to people criticizing him for that, said, lighten up, and made reference to a 1992 Pace, Pace, Pace Picante Pace sauce, Pace I Picante commercial, commercial that I, I have never, never seen, seen yeah. until so, this week. So it's basically, yeah. I'm going to try to remember this. You tell me, you, do you remember this commercial? I no. Okay, so I remember. Yeah. So it was a bunch of guys I was on a campfire. When this came out. Right. <laughs> a bunch of guys I on a campfire, one. if I remember this correctly, and there was a jar of salsa that had been made not salsa sauce, sauce. sauce. but it had been it had been manufactured you, it had been manufactured <laughs> in New York in New York <laughs> and i remember one of the guys going new york city get a rope get, get a rope right that was the if i remember that was the commercial yes indeed you that was yeah. an accurate portrayal of that so have you gone back uh, and looked at the end? i did i watched yeah. it it's got to be on youtube right everything well on i mean YouTube. greg got a link to it oh, i think okay. in his own response so this is a nearly 30 year old ad yes yeah. Um, but you know, okay, so Grab is not the first elected official to say this, but he is saying this. I mean, there's this whole thing about like, well, he was talking about an ad and was the ad wrong and maybe it wasn't wrong back then. And the reality is that the ad was bad and the joke was bad this time too. And you can't sort of reference something that happened 30 years ago and just because people didn't complain about it or criticize it for what it was back then say that it's okay to say it now i mean i so I, the, the context in which sid miller said it was specific to like the confederacy he wanted sid miller the ag commissioner you know he said it in the context of there were some uh you know confederate uh groups basically that wanted to be in this parade in his hometown and they were wearing all this confederate regalia and had confederate flags and they were asked not to participate and he in that response said get a rope and you know obviously connecting get a rope in the confederacy is like are you kidding me right now right but greg abbott clearly knew this hubbub happened a couple of weeks ago right like there's no way in which he tweeted this without the context of what just happened to sid miller so is he trolling us? <laughs> like, there must have been a thought process there, right? Before he tweeted, get a rope. Go ahead, Evan. <laughs> I, I, I make no assumptions about what the thought process of the governor is. I have no idea. I just feel like... It had to have been. You, the Sid Miller thing had just happened, right? And It was like two saw, weekends ago or something. But the thing is, is even if Sid Miller had said it and not received any criticism for it, you know, Greg Abbott is the governor of Texas in 2019. The state is 12% black, 39% Hispanic. There are people alive today whose ancestors were lynched not that long ago, right? Like lynching jokes are never good. They're never appropriate. And, you know, I think... The idea of this coming at a time when the Republican Party is trying to, you know, respond to racism within its own party, it, I, I think what this gets at is the 
the complications around people talking about race, particularly race in politics and when and how elected officials deal with it, right? Like when it's something like Rick Miller and Fort Ben saying someone felt like they could run because they were, quote, un-Asian in a, in a district that has a lot of Asian voters, that is so clearly racist and people are so easily able to talk around that and, and criticize it. But Including like, the governor. Including the governor. Right. And then there are all these other things that people don't see as problematic, even though on regardless of who is saying them, they are. And so, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you're looking at this party that continues to sort of navigate these different contours of how to respond to these things. And But at the end of the day, like a lynching joke is never appropriate. It's never not problematic. I'm trying to remember if the Pace Picante commercial actually provoked a little bit of a discussion too. It seems like it did, but I can't. I don't remember it being. Today, you put that commercial on today, you'd get an enormous amount of R- blowback. I don't remember there being enormous yeah. blowback on mm-hmm. that. I, may be I don't mis- think there was enormous blowback, but I, I seem to remember there may have been a little blowback. I mean, you know. Because that commercial in and of itself, I mean, that's something that you could look at and go, you know, a bunch of cowboys sitting around a fire talking about getting a rope. I don't know. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of mob justice or something. I mean, maybe that's not a, maybe that wasn't a good idea either. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) probably wasn't. Yeah. No, I don't think it was either. It's just the people who would have said it wasn't good didn't have the capital to say that as loud as it can today. Mm hmm. Uh, okay, Evan, I'm going to come back to you. Big news in the Texas, uh, in the U.S. Senate race in Texas, where we got a key endorsement in a crowded primary field uh, from the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. What did they decide? In so the favor? Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee decided to weigh in on what is a 12-person Democratic race for Texas Senate for the nomination in favor of M.J. Hager, who was the former congressional candidate in the 2018 cycle, decorated veteran of the Afghanistan war, um, who is one of probably conservatively five or six of the candidates who is at the top tier Mm -hmm. of that race. It's a completely wide open race. The polls have been inconclusive to the degree that anybody even knows who these candidates are. We've had our own poll had MJ Hager slightly ahead of the others, but it was a marginal lead. And in fact, the numbers were so small in terms of people who even knew who these candidates were that you almost couldn't consider that to be a legitimate, you know, finding on where the race stood. University of Texas, Tyler had a poll that had a different uh, a candidate, Christina Sinzun, in a similar situation in the lead, but the numbers were marginal. This is a wide open race. And um, the fact that the DSCC weighed in uh, caused the other campaigns to say, is the Democratic Party putting its thumb on the scale for one candidate here? I mean, the answer is obviously yes. And right? does, it, does it help <laughs> or hurt the, in terms of, endorse, I mean, that's what an endorsement money is. always helps, yeah. right? Well, but, well, I wouldn't, I mean, there's an, is an endorsement putting its thumb on the scale? It depends upon what comes behind the endorsement. Money. Right? If, um, is the right. DSCC planning to do something in terms mm-hmm. of activating fundraising or any other kind of organizing efforts on her behalf to try to propel her to the position where she's now the nominee? And would those even be successful? Mm-hmm. Well, she's now the, that mean, what this means basically is she's the establishment candidate. Or a candidate of the establishment. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think it's um, it's been interesting. The response of her opponents fell into sort of two camps. You know, there was, first of all, there were the opponents who basically said, you know, this is racially tone deaf. Um, you know, I think Royce West weighed into that in that regard, I think a couple of the different candidates basically said in a state as diverse as Texas, like, you know, this is the DSCC going for the white candidate. Some, but I also saw that like some were calling her sort of a closet Republican because she, well, apparently yeah. she had voted guns, a, she had right. voted yeah. once upon a time yeah. apparently in a, in a Republican primary, which she says was um, protest vote a right? protest vote. Um, 
I mean, the fact is, Texas has a, situ a situation at the primary level Open where primaries. you can choose to vote in one or another. And if you choose to vote in the primary that is different from your typical primary, you may be messing with the other party. I mean, we all knew people who, Republicans who voted in the Democratic primary when it was Hillary and Obama right. in 08, or Democrats who voted in the Dan Patrick, Todd Staples, David Dewhurst, Jerry Patterson primary for lieutenant governor to try to mess with the outcome. Right. I mean, I think this is a this has happened and the system allows for that. So the idea that she somehow voted in the other primary doesn't make her a Republican, but it gives an opening to Democrats who've always questioned whether she's too moderate for the party to say, is she really a legitimate Democrat of the kind that we want to put forward in the in the primary? I mean, it's obviously it's a benefit to her, but it doesn't decide the race. No. And, I, you know, I think Beto O'Rourke even, you know, was asked about this and he's staying out of this race entirely until after the primary is the sense that I got. So. Yeah, I mean, I think most, the average voter has no idea what the DSCC even is, much and probably has no idea who a lot of these candidates even are. But I do think it's interesting for the sort of like national democratic machine to come into a state that is as diverse as Texas and pick sides in this way when, you know, it's an open, it's such an open primary race. If your argument is that that's the best person to beat John Cornyn, you do have to sort of take stock of where you're saying that and the demographics of the rest of the candidates. They, I mean, they must have known that this was going to cause this sort of reaction. Hubbub. Yeah, yeah. Okay, one more endorsement for you, Evan. Uh, yeah. Texas Republican primary endorsement by President Trump this week. Tell us a little bit about that, about Kay Granger. So Kay Granger is a longtime member of Congress, Republican from Fort Worth, former mayor of Fort Worth, who is perceived by some, fairly or not, to be a more moderate Republican compared to some others has drawn a very conservative primary challenger, a gentleman named Chris Putnam, who has uh, uh, raised a bunch of money and has got the attention of the most um, conservative wing of the Republican Party. Julie uh, McCarty, the Julie Jonathan McCarty Stickland. Types, right. <laughs> so um, the, uh, there's been some question as to whether uh, Granger would be sufficiently uh, successful in a choice between somebody more conservative than her in a primary. And um, the fact that the president weighed in on her behalf slightly deflates the argument that somehow she's not Trumpy enough to compete successfully in that primary, although the president's endorsement in that case doesn't necessarily guarantee her success. She is now returning it by basically embracing MAGA conceptually um, and believes that maybe the Trump endorsement will carry her through this primary. But the person who's running against her and the people you mentioned and others like those people who are um, supporters of that individual are not going to be dissuaded by this. And they still think that they could potentially take down the very powerful uh, uh, congresswoman from Fort Worth, who, who is a veteran member and who... The most uh, senior Republican most woman senior, in Congress, most right? Senior, I mean, this yeah. just... And also was in line if the Republicans had held the, uh, had held the, the House this last time, mm -hmm. was going to be chair of appropriations. I mean, she's a real player. Except that she's also somebody who asked Trump to drop out of the presidential race over the allegations of, you know, him groping women. But is it not the case that all is forgiven? I mean, there, there are a number I mean, of people. Rick, who Rick back, Perry was said he was Lindsey a cancer, Graham, a cancer on the. What did Lindsey Graham say during the, right. the primary right. about the president? I mean, the president has whistled past that particular yeah. graveyard. The people who <laughs> criticized him during the primary, it is absolutely all is forgiven as Ted long as Cruz. you are completely loyal. Ted Cruz. Is King Granger not the only Republican woman in the congressional delegation? From, uh, she is now, from although Texas? there are, there are yeah. a number who are competing to be, notably Beth Van Dyne, the former mm -hmm. mayor of Irving, and uh, Genevieve, uh, what is her name? Genevieve, um, 
I'm forgetting her name, who's running against Colin Allred. There are a number of very prominent Republican women who have the potential to be at least mm -hmm. nominees, if not uh, uh, the actual uh, candidates. But wasn't that a kind of a, a semi-close race for Kay Granger at, at, uh, in the in the general last? I mean, is there not a, a viable Democrat? Kay, or Kay no? Granger was not one of those in a super a super close race in the general in 2018. Yeah, okay. I think her district is pretty solidly. It Republican. is. Okay. Tarrant, Tarrant yeah. County has been for years and years the most conservative large county in the but country. It, but, it, but remember that last time Beto both Justin Nelson it, and Beto O'Rourke right won their general election races in Tarrant County. Right. So Tarrant County was at least in 2018. A more of a purple trending to blue county just remains to be seen whether that would be the case in this cycle we don't know well if her let's say her uh arch conservative opponent or wins win. that, i don't know who the that seat is there? i yeah. will confess right. that i do not yeah. know who the democrat mm -hmm. in that race is abby's story painted this as a being a very reliably conservative district okay. so why then would trump endorse her over somebody who might be seen as even more loyal to him well he probably views her as likelier to win or that she can do more for him mm -hmm. potentially given her seniority and, you know, and all that. I mean, the president has made endorsements in contested primaries for the three years that he's been in office. And in some cases he's been successful at it. And in some cases he hasn't, but it's, you know, I maybe I mean, let me, let me sort of say it and let me answer it in the negative. If you have conservative Republicans in the house and moderate Republicans in the house or more moderate, less conservative Republicans, and you're heading into an impeachment, and you're concerned that some people on the more moderate end could potentially be peeled off, not that Kate Granger is showing any signs of being peeled off. Th this is obviously an inducement or an enticement to stay with Team Trump. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there was ever a concern that she wouldn't be with him, but that would be one argument, would be, look, I need somebody in the seat right now to stick with me through this really critical period, and I'm going to offer an endorsement, and, you know, those things are totally unrelated, except existentially we all think, well, eh, you know. All right, well, that's all the time we have this week. This is it. You did this it. This is it. I made it. You Thanks. landed the plane safely. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't finished thanking our sponsors. Thanks to Raise Your Hand Texas, Humana, the Texas Association of Counties, and the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute. Thanks to Spoon for our theme music, and thanks to all of you, our TribCast listeners, for an extraordinary ride. On behalf of Evan, Alexa, Jay, and our producers, Michael, Ray, and Regina, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. <laughs>